Hey there everyone, it's me Greg Downledge back for another episode of Random Encounter and a whole pile of news. Last episode was a lot easier because there's a lot less news, so I'm going to dive right into it so we can get right into episode 174. First I just want to say everybody who was able to make it out for our extra live stream, thank you so much if you were able to stop by, thank you so much for contributing. I am also super grateful to Scott, Kyle, and Kat for getting everything organized and just taking the helm on that. I love the idea of gamers giving back. I love whenever fundraising season comes around with uh, Extra Life, Desert Bus for Hope, and any other fundraising opportunity that comes up in the gaming industry. Using Twitch and uh, Mixer and the whole streaming thing to bring awareness and uh, raise money is amazing. And thank you so much for putting your time in, everybody. Into the content over at RPGFan.com, Crowdfunding Chronicles continues. Tina Ola has looked into Who Stole My Beard? Which sounds incredible. Uh, and looks like an RPG Maker game with a lot of uh, style and heart into it. As well, she took a look at the beautiful looking chorus and adventure musical, which I'm intrigued as a lover of musicals. I've always wanted to play a musical game. Like, I mean, there's Wander Song and stuff like that, but an adventure game that involves a musical element and the Greek pantheon, I'm sold. It's uh, uh, American Gods the Musical, I guess. I don't know. Anyways, this sounds cool. Go check those out in Crowdfunding Chronicles as it continues. Another feature we had, or kind of a review, a little bit of both, uh, Zach Wilkerson tackled Dragon Quest 1, 2, and 3 in the collection that was released on the Switch. Took a different vein from uh, Atlanta's review of Collection of Mana, and just left some initial impressions on it, so for folks who are curious if the revisit is worth it, check out his impressions Dragon Quest 1, 2, and 3 on Switch, and uh, find out if it's for you. Making for a swell segue into reviews from a retro re-release to a retro review, Pete Levitt has been extolling the virtues of Strife Veteran Edition and how he was wanting to go back to it for a while. And uh, it seems like it holds up overall, even if it's not, you know, stacked up into some of the best releases of the year. It still seems like a great game, and uh, I'm intrigued to uh, look at uh, what this game has to offer now, actually. Hey, Catherine Courtville, I was just talking about her. Digimon Story Cyber Sleuth Complete Edition, which I think is the Cyber Sleuth 1 and 2, uh, were both released on the Switch and Windows, and she took the time to review this uh, traditional RPG, which we've played in the past, and uh, overall seems to have landed quite well with her. And I believe she was streaming it not too long, too, so go check out our Twitch stream and see some of the old streams. Uh, I can't remember if she's still playing it, because I am bad at keeping up on Twitch. On last episode, we had Nathan Lee, and he was talking about Nino Kuni Wrath of the White Witch Remastered, and, uh, you know, he left his thoughts on it, and his review has now come out, and again, it still looks like a solid uh, remaster of this game, and great having it portable as well, which speaks to me with uh, as a Switch owner. And uh, this one that he was reviewing was the PS4 one, so it has the better uh, remastering of the graphics and everything as well. So, see his review, and see if, uh, now that it's more accessible to everybody, if Nino Kuni's worth going back to. I also mentioned on the podcast last time that Doraemon's Story of Seasons was delightful, and Joe Chop seems to have found it rather delightful overall as well. It's uh, definitely a simple farming sim, but I'm all about some good uh, down-to-earth simple farming action, so if you want a beautiful-looking farming game, this might be the one for you. Check out Joe Chop's review over at the website. On this episode, we kind of go into uh, a few games that are uh, maybe touching on rising from the ashes and or stuff that needs to rise from the ashes. A few companies have been falling short lately, 
Either way, Atelier Riza uh, kind of seems to have reinvigorated the Atelier series, according to Audra Bowling, who was able to uh, get her hands on it. Atelier Riza, Ever Darkness and The Secret Hideout, which is an incredibly convoluted title, doesn't seem convoluted at all and seems worth playing, and it looks really nice. So uh, if you wanted a good Atelier game, finally, this looks like the one to get you back into the series. And our final review from the past two weeks comes from myself, Greg Dalmage. I reviewed Monster Hunter World Iceborne. I've talked about it a bunch on the podcast. It's great. I gave it RPG Fan Editor's Choice. Go check out my review to find out all the different ins and outs of why this fantastic return to Monster Hunter World is worth it. Did I say that was the end of reviews? I kind of lied, kind of didn't. It was the end of the written reviews, but we had an amazing video review put out by Jonathan Logan, who's on the episode today. Jono was talking about the Outer Worlds, and his video review is fantastic. David and him did some great work on that. Go check out the video review over at our YouTube channel, and subscribe, please. Let us know uh, what more content you want from us. And finally, you've been listening to the music in the background this whole time. Patrick Gann took on the Indivisible original game soundtrack for us from uh, Scarlet Moon Records, and it sounds awesome, as uh, I hope you will agree. And if you want to be sold more on it, check out Patrick's awesome review. Bam, bam, boom, there you have it. News is done. On to episode 174 of Random Encounter. Hello fans of our lovely website, RPGFan.com. I'm Greg Dalmage, your host for today's retro, this is not Retro Encounter, for today's Random Encounter. And I am joined by some lovely folks. First and foremost, Caitlin Argios. It has been far too long. Thank you so much for coming back on. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm sorry I've been away for so long. I've just, uh, I've been, it's almost been like, been like I've been in another world, another whole other continent. You might have heard of it. It's called Zemuria. It's cool. It's got giant robots. <laughs> And I think we'll be hearing a lot more about it on this episode. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much for coming back. Where can people find you on the old social meds? I am Leanne Cazerol uh, on Twitter and Discord and almost everywhere that I'm on social media. So, yeah. Excellent. And then we also have uh, one of our lovely reviewers who I think, I don't think you've been on the podcast, either retro or here before. I know I know you haven't been on random before, but Jono, welcome on in. Thank you. Longtime listener, first time caller. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Uh, and what have you been keeping yourself busy with in life? How was your Halloween, folks? It was fine. It was quiet. We didn't really go out. I live in a condo, so there's no, there's not even any trick-or-treaters. My doorbell rang twice, and both times I was like, nope, go somewhere else. I'm terrible. I'm sorry. Disappointment for your treats. <laughs> By which to say, I mean, um, I ignored them. I didn't open the door and say, go somewhere else. I just okay. I pretended that <laughs> I didn't hear them. I was going to say, that's real salting the wound. Hi, I left my light on. Sorry to mislead you. Get out of here. Uh, Happy Halloween. (laughs) Well, we were busy with Gwen uh, going out and about. I had family in town as well, visiting my cousin. So we kind of hung out at home and gave out candy. Although our street apparently isn't the hot street. So we didn't really get a lot of people. One, the next two streets over are like the it streets. So that's where everybody goes. So while we had maybe like, I don't know, say nine or 10 groups of trick-or-treaters, 
We still have way too much leftover candy, so I'll be taking that to work so that I don't eat it all. And uh, Gwen, meanwhile, had a pretty decent haul going out as uh, the cutest little Galar region trainer. <laughs> Aww. She's all stoked for Sword and Shield. Yeah. And uh, yeah, we originally she wanted to be uh, the Pokemon trainer from Let's Go Eevee Pikachu, but the hats were all like out of out of stock everywhere online or it would take too long to come over from China by the time we were kind of looking into it. So then we're like, well, what's the fallback? She's like, oh, I really want to be the trainer from uh, the new Sword and Shield. So we looked into it and we were able to put it together with uh, some good thrift store shopping, a little bit of sewing, and we put together a pretty decent cosplay. So she went out with her Glaceon and Eevee and Pokeball and was all ready to battle people and uh, collect candy. Oh. Uh, and yeah, if you look at, at Greg Jalmudge pretty much anywhere on the webs, but on Instagrams particularly, uh, you can see uh, Gwen's rat little costume because I threw some photos up there of that. Because Halloween's fun. It was really good weather, though, over here for us. Like, it was a beautiful it night. It was cold in the Midwest. Mm-hmm. It was not fun. I mean, it was chilly, but not raining, at least. It was at least clear over there, but just cold. It was by the evening, but we'd had rain the entire day before, and it actually got cold enough for it to, to turn to snow for a little bit at the end. Woo. So we had snow Woo. flurries the morning of, and thankfully the sun came out in the afternoon, and... It was still like 30 degrees, but at least it wasn't raining anymore or snowing. Yeah, no kidding. I don't think it was raining here. Uh, I think it was pretty cold, though, as I recall. Yeah, it's, I don't know. Yeah, we've, yeah, we've been lucky weather-wise. Like, I mean, I don't know. And it's said it's been cold and whatever, but like it wasn't really rainy last year either. We got like a little bit of drizzle, but like ultimately uh, Gwen's Pokemon Adventure as Pikachu last year was, was pretty clear and uh, not too rainy for us, so... We've had some good Halloweens, and uh, but yeah, it's definitely getting chipper now. So getting up in the morning to frosty weather and have to account for right car needs to defrost that whole <laughs> thing again. As I'm sure you're running into as well, Caitlin. Uh, well, I have a garage, so uh, there you go. Lucky yeah. But and whereabouts are you in the continent, John? Me, I'm in uh, uh, the GTA. So uh, Vaughn. Okay, yeah. So then it's getting chipper for you too. It is, but my uh, my partner, she has a. I mean, we have, we have a garage in our building, so she is, uh, it's not too bad. Oh, that's handy. Yeah. Uh, well, all that being said, uh, I'm glad to have you both on here, and it's nice reconnecting with you, Caitlin. Yeah. But you, like you said, have been real busy uh, involving yourself pretty deeply in a game, uh, which, again, as uh, we were mentioning in the pre-show, I understand after putting so much time into Iceborne. What have you been uh, sucked into? Which other world did you go off to? Well, I went to the wonderful world of Zemuria, which is, of course, the main continent in the Trails series, the Kiseki games. And I guess to, to give a little backstory as to why I was so um, busy with that, I actually, when I first tried playing the Trails games, I started with Trails in the Sky FC. This was like back early 2015. And I didn't get very far, as I'm sure a lot of people who have played or tried playing that game can attest to because it's a super slow and protracted opening and I lost interest as I am wont to do when other games come out like new games come out and I'm like oh I need to play that and it's like do I play this old school looking game or do I play this new hotness on my on my on my console and of course you know new hotness usually wins so I I dropped it and then for some reason I still don't know why I just I randomly heard about Cold Steel when it came out at the end of December 2015 it's like Okay, this sounds kind of cool. I think it was probably a little bit the persona aspect of Cold Steel because it has a it's very clearly kind of a persona inspired setting with, you know, having military school students and having that kind of that kind of vibe. So, I picked it up and 
Uh, it took me like half a year to beat it because I kept getting distracted, but I did beat it and I fell in love with it and immediately devoured the second game. And so I, I was like, I like this series. And then when Nisa announced that they were releasing Cold Steel 3 earlier this year, I was like, cool, but I also knew that Cold Steel 3 is where you really start needing to have knowledge of the previous arcs in the series. And I was like, okay, it's fine. It's time for me to, you know, finally, you know, bite the bullet, go back and actually play these older games. So I did. I started a series replay or, you know, playthrough in March of this year. And pretty much outside of playing Final Fantasy XIV Shadowbringers when that came out, um, that is pretty much all I've been doing since March is playing through all of the Trails games, taking about a month or so per game to get through. So I went through all three Sky games, which now I love, even though FC is still really slow. And uh, I did play through the Crossbell games so I could have context. And I I almost, I didn't quite get through every game because while I played Cold Steel 1 again for uh, Retro Encounter episodes that we did over the summer, I didn't have enough time to get through Cold Steel 2 uh, before 3 came out, but I've played it before, so I figured I was allowed a pass there. And that was all in preparation for reviewing Cold Steel 3. Sorry, that's a super long spiel and explanation, but that's that's it. My life has been Kiseki pretty much all all year this year. Sounds like a good life. Yeah, it is. I mean, like, they definitely, you know, there are problems with the games. And, you know, some people would, would say that the 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 slow opening that tends to be the case in at least the, the, um, the initial game, the first game of each arc is usually pretty slow. Um, is a problem, and it is because I mean, like you know, you can you can easily lose your interest if you're not sort of motivated to play it. And you know, the graphics are always usually uh, a bit behind. Um, they get obviously updated, and Cold Steel Three looks the best that the series has ever looked, but they're always behind other games. So I mean, there there are issues, but it's really I cannot think of another long-running series, because at this point, um, there are now nine Trails games. Uh, Cold Steel 3 is number eight, and Cold Steel 4, which we will hopefully get next year, I'm I'm crossing my fingers for, is number nine. But such a long-running series that it, is, that it all takes place in the same world, has interconnected uh, stories and characters, you know, the story from the Sky Games comes up and is referenced by characters in the Crossbell games and in the Cold Steel games. And, you know, same with the Crossbell games coming up and now in the Cold Steel games. Um, and characters making appearances and, and playing not not like cameo appearances, but significant roles in future games, too. And it's amazing to think that they, not only that they do that, but that they do it really well. Like, it's it's not just that, you know, hey... We had this game that happened, you know, seven games ago, and here are these characters, and we're going to talk about this thing that happened. It's done well, and it it feels it doesn't feel forced. It doesn't feel like we're going to talk about this character, you know, for fan service, even though there is fan service in these games. Um, it's just it it it's so well done. But the flip side, of course, is that you know if you have a large interconnected world where the story from previous games is going to be relevant going forward, the cost of entry gets higher and higher and higher. And they try to, they've tried to make the the first game in each arc uh, standalone enough that you can get by without previous experience. Cold Steel 1 was really good about that. I think, I think for anybody who's looking at Cold Steel 3 and is interested in it, but is thinking, oh, well, 
I have to play all these games, while it's a good thing if you, you know, eventually can get to the point where you can play all these games, Cold Steel 1 is a good entry point. If you're worried about going, starting with Sky FC and, and getting distracted and bored like I did when I first played it, try Cold Steel 1 first and see if that grabs you and maybe play that in Cold Steel 2 and then go back and try to play the older games because um, I was talking to Jono about this in the pre-show. I think that was what really helped me when I went back and did my my replay. I think I was already hooked by that point. I loved Cold Steel 1 and 2, and I could see things in the Sky Trilogy that were leading toward uh, Cold Steel 1 and 2. And not only that, but having Cold Steel 3 and, you know, hopefully 4 on the horizon gave me a lot of motivation to, to go back. So uh, I think there can be some value, you know, to playing the games out of order if playing them out of order gets you that hook that you need. And then once once you're hooked, I mean, like, I'm, I'm, I'm gone. I'm a Trails fan for life now, unless they do some really awful pandering shit in, in the next arc. I'm, um, and yes... Japanese players, I know there's some awful pandering shit in 4. I'm prepared for it. I just want the ending. So I'm going to deal with the harem crap if it means I get my ending. (laughs) Oh, dear. Yeah. So, okay. Suffice it to say, Cold Steel 3 is the third game in the uh, Cold Steel arc, which is the third arc in the series. It is, there's a bit of a time gap between two and three, about a year to a year and a half have passed between the end of Cold Steel 2, which was all focused on this sort of civil war between a noble faction in the Erebonian Empire and the the more uh, reformist commoner faction in the Empire. That's That's been over for about a year and a year and a half, and uh, the main character from the first two games, Reen Schwarzer, who was a student for the first two games, has now graduated and become an instructor himself. He's teaching at a new, newly formed branch campus of Thor's, which um, happens to just be on the other side of Heimdall from Thor's main campus, which I always thought was kind of weird. It's super close to the main campus. And I was like, shouldn't it be further away? But that's neither here nor there. So there's a time gap, and you have a new Class 7 and a whole new campus uh, to deal with, but it's still very much a direct continuation of, the at, at the very bare minimum, the first two Cold Steel games. So you need to play Cold Steel 1 and 2 at bare minimum, I think, to, to play Cold Steel 3. There are, uh, the main menu does have a uh, set of summaries of the events in Cold Steel 1 and 2 and major characters. And in an absolute pinch, if you are really, really, really insistent on playing Cold Steel 3 without having played any previous game, yeah, you can read those and get your bearings. But Cold Steel 1 and 2 are really good, and they're on PC and PS4, so you have every opportunity to play them, and I really would play them first. No excuse, people. Yeah. And obviously, like I said before, if you uh, if you have the time, if you're willing to hold off on Cold Steel 3, and you might want to, because spoiler, Cold Steel 3 ends on a really bad cliffhanger. If you play it now, you are going to be dead inside until Cold Steel 4 comes out. I'm just saying that because that's what happened to me. I, I, I am dead inside right now because I need Cold Steel 4 like yesterday. Do we have to find you a support group? Kate? Yes. Are you, are you going need, to be okay? I need a support group. I need a sur- <laughs> some sort of, you know, like, you know, can I go to an anonymous support group and talk about my feelings and how Falcom has, like, completely destroyed them? <laughs> Legends so. of Hero Anonymous. Like, how do you feel about Falcom? Do you feel they've abandoned you like your parents did? I, I, they are evil geniuses right now. So evil. So awful. And please, please... Please, 
bring Cold Steel 4 out next year, please. Um, but yeah, so, you know, if you can hold off on Cold Steel 3 for a while and you want to play the older games in the series, uh, I would very much recommend it. Um, they're from the very beginning of Cold Steel 3, there are characters from the Sky Trilogy. The first chapter of Cold Steel 3 deals with certain events or um, mentions and brings up certain events and deals with, deals with a certain particular place from the Sky Trilogy that people who have played those games will be familiar with. And you, the characters talk about things and you get enough of an understanding of what has happened and what, this, what, what, what these places are, but it has so much more impact on you if you have played the games or very bare minimum if you've like watched like a a good video summary on YouTube so you're aware of the the history of these places and these characters so you know it's I'm not going to say though that like you you thou shalt not play this game without having played all previous Kiseki games because of course you know two of those games are not officially localized um, although there are fan translations that you can play if you are really interested and obsessed, like um, like a certain someone, not not gonna point them out. <laughs> no, I don't, I don't know you, who they you. are. It's not me. Um, it's but we also me. played it on no. uh, our Twitch channel too, so there might be some of that stuff kicking around as well. Yes, uh, Scott played Zero uh, for us um, because Zero out of the two Crossbell games, Zero is the one that is relatively easy to get a hold of um you can buy it uh from a japanese uh website on pc ao is the tricky one because it's not really easy to find uh, a legal copy of that game that's accessible uh over here so which i hope is not an issue uh I, we know that falcom in an ideal world would love to bring those games out uh, to do a remake or just to bring out the current pc versions to western audiences but they're a super small company, and they're already focused on, right now, it sounds like, on doing a, uh, we're not sure if it's supposed to be like a bridge game between Cold Steel and Next Arc, like a sort of Sky the Third kind of thing, or if it's going to be maybe some sort of DLC to Cold Steel 4, but there's there's talk about something that would tie up some loose ends left after the end of the Cold Steel series, and then, of course, the Next Arc which a lot of people are speculating is going to be Calvard, which is, that's for those who are in the know or don't know, um, the two big empires on the Zemurian continent are Erebonia, which is where the Cold Steel games are set, and then the Calvard Republic, which is to the east of Erebonia and has been at pseudo-war or really, really unfriendly with Erebonia since pretty much anyone can remember. And a lot of people are assuming that that's going to be the next arc because it's been... It's been a heavy focus of the world since the beginning, and it's about time that we actually learn a little bit about uh, about Calvert. And that's, as a side, that's one of the really cool things about these these games. With the Sky Trilogy, one of the biggest you know initial things that you learn is a previous war between Liberal, which is where the Sky games are set, and Erebonia, the empire to the north. And then with Cold Steel, we actually got to go to Erebonia and learn about that country and see it kind of in a different light from how it was presented in the, in the uh, Sky Games. So Calvert kind of makes sense as a next stop since we all we know about Calvert is what we've been told by its enemies, basically. But I digress. Well, how do these games stack up for someone... Uh, who's played like Fire Emblem and such too? Because for me, I've always, uh, from what I've seen, they seem a bit similar to that as well. Um, well, it's not. 
it's not really a to me, you know, Fire Emblem is a strategy RPG, and this is... Yeah, it's true. The battle's a bit different. Yeah, this is not... This is still a turn-based traditional RPG at heart. It's a bit... It's got some strategy elements to it because you have to worry about turn order, and uh, you have to think about, um, like, delay... How much how much your actions are going to delay your enemies or you and to make sure that you get the right bonuses... Um, there are super moves called S-Crafts that you can use uh, either on your turn or you can use them to interrupt bosses, and that can be used strategically. The uh, the Cold Seal game started adding in things like being able to link up with a partner and have them do follow-up attacks in the right situation, and you could also build up uh, a resource called BP, uh, Brave Points, so that you could then expend to perform like a rush attack with your partner or if you had enough you could have everybody in the party like dogpile the enemy and uh it's the same basic system in cold steel 3 but they've made some refinements to it they've added a couple mechanics it's it's even a bit it's it's a bit more strategic i would say than uh, the previous two games um the brave points they do all the same stuff they did before but you can also now use them to uh, give orders to your party called brave orders they cost a certain amount of BP depending on the order, and they give you buffs. So one might buff your damage, another might reduce uh, turn delay so that you, you get your turn more often. Um, they can be very useful, and there are some boss fights where they're almost essentially required if you don't want to die. But they are also really overpowered um, once you once you get used to them, and especially once you figure out a couple combinations that are really, really overpowered. I, the main combination that's the super powered one is you use one brave order to increase break damage, which that's the other new mechanic is enemies now take uh, break damage as in addition to HP damage. And once they've taken enough break damage, they enter a break state where they lose their turn for a bit and you deal critical damage and you always get a follow up strike from your partner. So it's, you, you want to put them into break state so you can really pile on the hurt. You can use a brave order to increase break damage and break your enemies faster, and then you can use another brave order to reduce turn delay so that everyone gets their turn more often in the same amount of time. And you can basically use that strategy to keep enemies in break state indefinitely. I quite literally beat the final boss in the game. It got like, I don't know, two or three turns before I broke it, and then I kept it in break status until I killed it. So you can really break the system even more so than you could in previous games. And, you know, some people like that. It's It can be fun to break the, the game like that and figure out overpowered combinations. But you can also kill any challenge that way. Um, so challenge comes more from, like, um, holding off on on using that, that kind of super-powered combinations and whatnot. How much grinding did it take to take out the boss like that? Um, I didn't grind at all. <laughs> That in fact, is awesome, actually. The games don't really let you grind because you 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 get less experience than the more higher leveled you are compared to the enemies you're fighting. So at a certain point, you get you start getting really a pittance of experience. So you can't really you you're severely discouraged by the game mechanics themselves from over leveling. You can you can try, and there are certain things you can do, like you can attract um, you can attract shining palms with the right items, and they will give you a, a, an obscene amount of experience. So you can still try to grind, 
but the game doesn't really want you to, and you don't really have to 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 do anything there. There were there were no bosses bosses I encountered per se where I felt like I was too underleveled, and I was I would fight. You know, I wasn't fighting every single enemy, but I would fight enemies if they like noticed me and came after me so that they wouldn't uh, get an ambush on me. But I didn't I didn't run around d- dungeons more than I had to to just like get all the items and get to the the final. Uh, the final boss. So you don't really, there's no grinding. Um, yeah. So yeah, it's an interesting point because like, I think it's not something that a lot of games do. They don't, a lot of other RPGs don't necessarily control your level progression the way that the trails games do. Um, and that's, this is something that's been the case like for the entire series. So it's uh, it's just one of those things that you do. A lot of times, though, it's you know you don't use levels to overpower enemies so much as you uh, you get access to more skills. Uh, the more equipment you pick up that has a lot of uh, nice bonuses, accessories like that give you huge evasion bonuses or boost your defense or your attack. Um, and obviously, getting access to the quartz that you use to uh, to give you your your stat boosts and uh, and your magic, which I guess. For those who don't play the games, um, the magic system basically in the Kiseki series is uh, called, uh, you use orbments, which are devices that you put in like little crystals into slots, and then that can allow people to draw out uh, orbital energy and use it like magic. So uh, in the old games, and the, the, the sky uh, and the uh, crossbow games, you would um, you would put in quartz into your orbments and depending on the amount of elemental uh, quartz you had you would get access to different uh, spells um, the cold steel games kind of changed it where instead of your spells being based off how many different levels of element you have the quartz themselves give you spells instead so you have fewer spells overall to have access to because you only have so many slots to put stuff in but it allows you to be a bit more uh, uh, specific with your character build. So instead of like everybody winding up with all a huge amount of magic that they probably can't use simply because you're giving them stat boosting quartz that happens to have fire element in it, now you can give them a specific quartz to like say, I want this character to have high evasion so that they dodge a lot, or I want this character to be a physical powerhouse so that I'm giving them a lot of attack boosting quartz and stuff like that. Um, and one of the additions in Cold Steel 3 is the sub-master quartz system. So master quartz were introduced in, actually in Ao no Kiseki, um, but for Western fans, the first game you're probably going to be seeing it is Cold Steel 1. It's sort of like a central quartz that is like makes up the, the heart of your orbment. It has stat buffs of its own. It gives you various perks that uh, that increase in potency as you level the quartz, um, and it gives you a selection of arts that also increases as you level the quartz. So Cold Steel Three now says you can actually have two master quartz equipped, and the second master quartz has reduced stats, and you can't get all the tier benefits, all the perks from the quartz. But you can still get some of it, and you can still get all of the arts from that master quartz. So it lets you get more access to more arts so you can it's it, it sort of is an, a nice little middle ground i guess between the sky games where you could have characters with an insane amount of arts just because you gave them a bunch of different stat boosting quartz and the 
first two Cold Steel games where you were somewhat more limited in how much magic you could put on a character because the system changed. So now you can kind of, if you really wanted to, you could have a character with two different elemental style courts to give them a nice variety of arts and then still have like stat boosting courts in their uh, other slots to boost attack or defense or stuff like that. It's kind of a nice little balance. And it sort of at feeds into the sort of uh, the overpowered nature that you can eventually get to in the game by like the second half and the latter half of the game because there are some really interesting combinations you can come up with depending on what you have in your master court slot and what you have in your sub master court slot. So like, for instance, um, evasion tanking has been a, a, a tried and true strategy of these games, especially like in uh, Cold Steel 2, where you had super bosses that were really hard to deal with if you couldn't evade their attacks. So the idea was always you build up your evasion to 100%, so you pretty much dodge everything minus like a boss's super move. And in the Cold Steel games, when you dodge an attack, you're, and if your character's in range, they counterattack. So a lot of times, especially in Cold Steel 2, characters would make Fee their evasion tank because she's got a, a bit of a boost to evasion to begin with and her counterattack is ranged. So she could run up to a boss, have 100% evasion, dodge pretty much anything other than a super move and always counterattack too. In Cold Steel 3, you can do that. You can ha- and you can have master quartz that boost your your evasion. But you can also have master quartz that say that when you counterattack, your counterattack does upwards of 500 to 600% additional damage. And then there's another master quartz that can then boost your, your critical uh, damage or whatnot by an additional 150 or some odd percent. So you can combine these, uh, these two master quartz with the right uh, quartz in your, your main ornament to say... I'm going to dodge everything outside of an S-Craft, and if I'm in range, I'm going to counterattack, and with the right quartz, it's going to be an automatic critical, and that critical is going to be upwards of like six to 700% above normal damage. It is ridiculous. I uh, would see bosses, like their HP would drop by like a third after attacking me and missing me um, with just a regular counterattack, so... Yeah. That's a nice way to, I guess, wade through things. Um, do you find then that this is the most like flexible system of all of them? Um, I think in terms of being able to come up with different builds, like that that's just, you know, that's one example. You can also have builds that are focused around spellcasting. So builds that like say uh, allow you to uh, to boost your 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 damage when your spells, but then also like you could you could get regen your HP or your EP from spellcasting. You could have setups that heavily reduce the delay from casting spells, so that you can cast a lot more spells in the same amount of time. So I think, especially compared to the Sky games, there's a lot more flexibility to create different. Uh, kinds of builds and and that play with and take advantage of or potentially abuse the uh, the system in the battle system. Um, the flip side, of course, is that uh, you you can't. It's harder to create characters that have a huge list of arts uh, to deal with. Like you know, by the end of 
almost every Sky game, I had characters that had a huge list of arts in almost every element, uh, especially my spellcasters uh, would have like almost every element and have multiple high-level spells. It's hard to do that with the Cold Steel games, even if Cold Steel Theory makes it a little bit uh, uh, easier uh, to do that with the, the Submaster Quartz. And the, the mechanics at play, you know, to a certain extent, kind of actively discourage spellcasting anyway, because... Um, you go, for instance, the Brave Orders are really overpowered. If you want to take advantage of them, you need to build BP to use them. But spells do not, by definition, uh, give you BP because you only get BP from like when, you're, when your linked partner does a follow-up attack. And those only happen if you do a physical attack or a craft. So if you want to maintain your BP, uh, you're kind of encouraged to ignore arts as an attack method. Uh, in order to keep your BP up. But there are things to help deal with that, like there are items that you can spam that will restore your BP if you can't do it otherwise. Um, the various turn bonuses that are randomly assigned that'll occur depending on who lands, uh, whose turn lands on that space. Sometimes they give you like uh, one or three or five BP. Sometimes they let you use a brave order without any cost. So you can you can play around with things, um, but it feel it does kind of feel a little bit like art usage is uh, a bit discouraged by the system, a little bit. Not 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 to say that you can't of course make a super uh, strong murder mage if you wanted to, but considering you don't have to, like considering you can break the system really easily just by you know using the right brave orders and like when I say that I broke an enemy and kept them in break status and then wailed on them. It was largely just, I would just use main regular attacks. I wouldn't do flashy stuff like superpower attacks. I wouldn't do arts because they take time to cast. So, I mean, you can you don't have to expend the effort uh, if you don't want to. And that's, you know, that's kind of the, the beauty, I guess, of the system is that while you can break it if you want and you can totally trivialize things and be that sort of superpowered god in combat... You don't have to if you don't want to. You can ignore those brave orders. You can, you know, you can build things differently. And to that extent, yeah, it's 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 nice and flexible. Which is great to hear. You could you could give people nothing but stat boosting courts in the Sky Games, and they would still have a huge amount of uh, of arts to cast as well. Here, you know, that's not the case, and. I guess, you know, it allows you to, to feel more like you're really customizing characters based on what you think they should be. Like, you have a big hulking brute in the Sky Games like Agate, who is at casting magic and probably shouldn't be casting magic. But if I load him down with stat quartz, he's going to have access to high-powered magic that he shouldn't be casting. But in the Cold Steel games, in Cold Steel 3, if I want to create a character who is has no almost no magic and is mostly focused on boosting their physical stats and making them a physical powerhouse or a, a sneaky stealth character, I can do that. And it's no longer this whole thing where, oh, I, ha I happen to have access to this super-powered high-level spell that this character probably shouldn't be casting. So yeah, I don't know. Uh, you'll probably find, you know different people who have different opinions, uh, you know, about the battle systems and, you know, how they've been evolved over the, over the years. Um, Cold Steel 3 is kind of interesting in that I think it's actually really punishing in the first chapter or so of the game because you don't have access to 
that that kind of, you know they don't you don't have access to the courts that are really powerful you don't have access to the master courts you haven't necessarily unlocked all the brave orders and stuff like that you don't have access to some of the really powerful accessories that you can use to like say for instance make an evasion tank and then by the end of the game once you've collected a lot of that stuff it becomes much much easier um and i suppose there's a discussion to be had there on like is that the way it should be should should the game become trivial by the end if you've just all collecting quartz and and stuff like that or should they should they find a way to keep the the challenge level uh even and it's going to come down to i guess like you know do you like breaking the game do you like you know becoming super overpowered or you know do you want it to be a bit more of a, a crushing experience from start to finish um and, and that sounds like any good rpg i guess like giving you the flexibility i mean yeah. even like it's yeah, a lot of these systems kind of sound like Final Fantasy VI or twelve, for example, where you have the option to let everybody be good at everything if you grind enough for it. Yeah. Although it's interesting that in this one you don't really have to grind to get that big. No, no, you don't. But I guess you could. You could. Um, it actually it turns it turns less to be about grinding for levels and more to be about grinding to get drops from enemies or to get sepith from fighting them so that you can make uh, uh, upper level quartz. Um, and that's actually, th- this game is far more uh, loose with quartz. Enemies drop quartz left and right, and you can use that quartz to upgrade. Like if you get a certain number of a lower level quartz and you have enough uh, materials, you can go to uh, an orbment store and you can you can upgrade it. You can expend three lower level quartz to get an upgraded version that has some bonus stats. Uh, in addition to the, uh, like, say, the spell that the initial quartz had. And enemies are dropping a lot more quartz, so you get access to a lot more copies of lower and mid-tier quartz. So the upgrade game kind of becomes not just, like, for, uh, creating quartz from scratch, but, you know, trading in quartz to upgrade for more powerful quartz. Can you get pints, though? That's my question. Can you get Pints. Well, I mean, <laughs> some of the characters uh, are now of drinking age in this game, so they can they can get a pint if they wanted to. I appreciate you justifying that in context of the game and indulging my stupid humor. <laughs> um, although, honestly, I'm also thinking of quarts and pints of ice cream. Oh, that's just where I go. <laughs> there is ice cream in the game. Hey, there's there's ice cream. Um, it's like it's food that you can make or buy and use in battle. So, oh, nice, and that just kind of boosts your stats and everything. Yeah, yeah I noticed you mentioned cooking in your review. Yes. Um. So cooking is. Let's see. Cooking has been a thing since the very beginning of the series, and basically you have to have the ingredients in your inventory, and then you can make uh, the food. All the food is basically items that you can use uh, in combat to either restore health. Um, a lot of food uh, is good because it not only restores health, but it also confers a bonus, like a stat bonus, like a temporary temporary attack and defense up, or maybe temporary uh, uh, arts boost or whatnot like that. Some food that you can cook um, in the most recent games is peculiar or a failure, but it can be used in battle either to like uh, debuff enemies or to attack them. Um, and more recently, like uh, with the uh, with the Cold Steel games and the the Crossbell games, uh, different characters can cook different recipes or different versions of recipes. So, like in the Cold Steel games, every recipe has like four different results. One that is 
amazing and good and can only be made by one character and one that's great, one that's good, and one that's like, Ugh, I don't know if I should eat this, but maybe I should give it to an enemy and watch them like get a, a tummy ache from it. So you can you can do that. And they can be really useful in battle because of the benefits that they provide and because using items is instant. And uh, there's also, um, for instance, here's another way that you can, you know, take advantage of the system. There's a Master Quartz that once you level it up can actually make item usage an AoE, like a, a medium-sized AoE. So you level up that Quartz, you could have somebody who's not good at, like, casting, you know, healing magic who can throw out cooked items as if they're AoE healing spells. And suddenly you can, like, confer all of these bonuses or regen, you know, EP and CP to a bunch of people at once without having to cast magic. So that's, a, that's another way you can, you know, manipulate the system. Mm. But one of the annoying things in the previous games and the Cold Steel games, especially Cold Steel 1, was that you used to have to have the people in your party in order to cook with them. And in Cold Steel 1, um, your characters that you had available to you uh, changed from chapter to chapter. You would basically be oscillating between characters um, depending on which groups they wound up in for your field studies. So it became annoying if like a recipe that you had is a uh, something that say, you know, Elliot is the master of and can create this, this you know, uh, the best version, but you don't have Elliot for that chapter, so you can't cook with him. So Cold Steel 3 made it so that, you know, once the character has joined your party for, you know, any length of time, you can cook with them even if they're no longer in your party, which is a huge quality of life change because that was super annoying in the previous games. And uh, it's actually not the only one. There's a lot of quality of life changes that I really appreciated in the game. Um, I was talking about difficulty and, you know, how you can break the game. Part of that is the difficulty setting you choose it ranges from very easy for people who really just want to focus on the story to nightmare, which is like the hardest of hard enemies are buffed and deal more damage and stuff like that. And it used to be that you, once you pick a difficulty setting, you were stuck on that for the game. And if you ran into a difficulty spike, you, well, you may have found the need to grind, but less so for levels or to just get materials or to try to figure out new strategies. Now you can change the difficulty setting once you start a playthrough, which is very, very much appreciated. I always was wary about starting a game, especially a game that I hadn't played before on a harder difficulty, because what if I run into a boss that murders me and I don't know what to do with it? Well, now I can just reload my save and lower the difficulty if I want. You know, go take it all the way down to the bottom if it's a really tough enemy. And I think I mentioned uh, chapter one has bosses that really feel punishing more so than I recall feeling from previous like, you know, early chapters in, in uh, the Trails games and in Cold Steel in particular. So it's really nice to have that feature. There are a bunch of other things too, like uh, the, uh, the, the map will now show you uh, not just like where there's a quest event, but like it'll show you where there's an optional event that you could talk to someone if there's like a book that you can collect and it's sitting on a shelf in a, in a room somewhere, the map will indicate that so that it's harder to miss things uh, like collectibles that you might lose access to if you progress the story too much. The fast travel is a bit, uh, I think, uh, more useful. It's, it's, it's less restrictive in terms of where you can go based on where you are. 
Obviously, uh, Nisa added a turbo mode in this game that was not present in the original Japanese release. Um, and it works pretty much uh, this as you might expect. It's you can't you can't uh, customize it the way you can with like say the the turbo on the PC versions. But it's nice to have uh, if you're you know running around fighting a bunch of enemies or if you're you know doing a bunch of like you know quests and talking to people to have that. So um, it's it's nice. Um, I you know I hope that these kind of things stick around for future games. There are some things, though, that they did that I don't like, and one of those is that the um, while I like the uh, the battle UI in general, there are some elements that are really small and hard to read, especially if you're on a bigger using a bigger TV, you're sitting that much further away from it. At least that was that was my experience playing the game in my living room. Is that some of the battle UI uh, stuff is very small and I had to squint a little bit at times to figure out like is that is that an attack up indicator or is that a arts up indicator I can't quite tell what the letters are so I mean that's kind of we're, we're getting yeah old. <laughs> I know that isn't something that's been actually coming up a lot more lately I've noticed a lot of things on social media complaining about the uh the UI elements for a lot of games being really small yeah. for no reason. It's a, yeah, well, it's, I'm trying to cram too much in, yeah, maybe. And I, well, I wonder, you know, is it indicative of, like, how they're testing and, and, and building the games? Like, if they're doing it in front of a monitor or if they're sitting close to a smaller TV, it might be less pronounced than if you're sitting, like, you know, in a living room uh, kind of situation. So... It might be a reason to say, well, let's let's make sure that we kind of recreate the, the average distance that a person's probably going to be sitting from this to see how how visible it is. Or, you know, let's let's have options. Let's let them customize the size of the UI to a little to a certain extent, if possible. Um, it's a it's yeah, it's nice. a minor thing. Like it doesn't it doesn't really necessarily you know make the jo- the game less enjoyable. It doesn't even really make it that much harder because for the most part i'm not super like on top of the the buffs and debuffs uh uh, for enemies especially you know towards the end of the game where it didn't really matter how buffed or debuffed people were because i was you know murdering them (laughs) too quickly anyway um but yeah there's that um the graphics in general obviously look a lot better than previous games it's it's an updated version of the same engine from the previous two cold steel games so you'll you'll see a kind of similarity um to character uh character appearance and movements animations that kind of thing they're still they're still pretty basic animation wise and some of them kind of look laughably stiff in like when they're trying to do like fast movements or 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 battle stuff um that's just kind of par for the course though with this series like i mentioned it's always kind of feels a bit like a generation or so behind um and and it it does really look the best that the series ever has and the characters even if they don't animate super smoothly look you know like the best version of themselves so um you know do you feel this is in favor of gameplay perhaps I think it's simply more a factor of Falcom's size and the fact that they're pushing these games out um, within a series. They're usually pushing them out like once a year. So it's simply a matter of uh, 
of that. I think that the while they would, I think Kondo might even actually have answered this question at some point in an interview. While they would obviously love to be able to do like something like uh, um, uh, motion capture for for stuff to make it feel you know that much more realistic, it's something that would be it, that is possibly right now kind of financially and time wise not really feasible for them. At least not to allow them to put the games out in the uh, in the sort of amount of time that they have been. And I mean, like, that's that that kind of sucks, but considering how big these games are, they are freaking huge in terms of dialogue, like the amount of dialogue in a typical Trails game, and Cold Steel 3 and 4 are both larger than uh, most games in the series in terms of dialogue. Um, that's a hefty, that's a lot of work just on its own. So I can understand why the focus is and really should be on the characters and the story because that's what Trails does really well. It it's it does its characters and the overarching and connected story really well and I would I wouldn't want them to sacrifice that just to have the characters animate more smoothly. Like, you know, I'm I'm fine with it being the way it is if it means that the focus stays on the characters and the story. And, um, you know, the story, I've already talked about how it's a continuation and how it ends on a horrible cliffhanger. Um, I will say that uh, if you weren't super into Reen as the main character in the previous games, and if you weren't super sold on Old Class 7, um, you know, as a group or whatnot, I think there are elements of the story in three that you will like. I think Reen kind of fits much more naturally as an instructor, per se, than a student. He kind of matures in a good way, and I think you'll like him more if you weren't so sure about him in in previous games. And I think New Class 7 is fantastic. It's a much smaller main cast, so the characters get more time to shine. They are present for every chapter as opposed to Old Class 7, which alternated between chapters in Cold Steel 1. So that means they have a lot more time to develop and sort of play off each other. Um, The branch campus as a whole is smaller. um, And just like with Cold Steel 1, you can run around, you can talk to people, and they have their own little quirks and things like that. But there are no more um, random characters like Thor's in Cold Steel 1 had named NPC students that had their own little stories and interactions, but it also had uh, generic, you know, female student, male student characters to fill it out because it's a much bigger school. And uh, Cold Steel 3, it's all named NPCs. They They all have their own little quirks and backstories. They each have a quest for you to do at some point over the course of the game. So you get to learn about them and their history and stuff like that like that. I felt a lot closer not just to New Class 7, but to the entire branch campus by the end of the game than I did to the... And I, and I love original Class 7. I, I don't mind them in general. Um, I quite like them. But I think that the focus on character and, and development is better in this, this game. And I also think the pacing of the story works better, even though the basic structure is the same. It's still... You teach, you have a free day, you go on a field study goes down you save the day rinse and repeat a couple times but i think the way they sprinkle little bits of intrigue and build things up over the course of the chapters into the epilogue is a bit better uh than in previous games and like i said 
by the end, you're going to be like, you're going to be in a ball of, of emotions and feelings. So it's good. If you are invested in the series, it's good. It's a good sort of like place to aim for. If you haven't played, like I would, like I said, I wouldn't start with this game, but it's a good thing to know is on the horizon. If you're, you know, playing older games in the series to get up to, it's a really good game. It's, it's, I've been trying to think about where I where I would put it amongst all of the uh, the previous uh, games in the series, and I don't know that I've settled on it, but it's definitely up there in my top top Kiseki games. So, um, and I've been rambling on this about this a lot, so I kind of don't want to take up any more time. I'm sure the listeners are like, "Shut up, Caitlin." I doubt that. We know it. We get it. We you love Trails. It's a good Trails game. <laughs> okay, fine. You're, you are right, dear listener, who is thinking that. It is a good Trails game, and I will shut about it. We'll get, your, get you off your soapbox <laughs> and uh, move on uh, with other things. But I'm glad it's landing well after waiting so long. It would have been such a shame that you would have been like, what is this hot garbage? Yeah. Oh, um, okay, sorry. One, one last thing. She lies! There are Divine Knight battles. So if you've played, there, like I said, giant robots, there are giant robots. So there are Divine Knight battles. Divine Knights? Um, they are, Divine Knights are, uh, basically very powerful, like, uh, t- I forget how tall they are, but they're, they're, they're robots. The Divine Knight bouts are pretty much the exact same as previous games. There's very little that's changed about them, except for now you can have additional people in your party. So it feels more like party combat as opposed to Reen just blows up in his giant special robot, even though he does still blow up in his giant special robot. But there's that. And the localization. I would be remiss for not talking about that very briefly because I know people were worried when Nisa announced because of the Ease 8 debacle and because it would mean no more Exceed. The localization is good. It's it's not quite, I think, on the same level as Exceed. I'd say it's a little bit below. But it's still pretty good um, for for the size of the game and for the challenge that Nisa had in picking up a game in the middle of an arc that's part of a long-running series that has to have continuity in terms of terminology and events and characters. They did bring on former Exceed staff and Exceed affiliated staff, so I want to make sure that that's you know that's mentioned since they did a good job. But it is also in part because they had help from people who worked on previous games in the series. Some parts are not as good as others. Uh, main story stuff is usually just fine, and the voice stuff is perfect. I have almost no issue with anything that's voiced. Some side content is stilted at times, and I noticed more typos than I uh, recall noticing in previous games in the series. That kind of stuff, if Nisa is going to, you know, hopefully stick with it, can be addressed in a patch, but it's something to be aware of. You know, it's, it's like I said, it's a little bit, I'd say a little bit under Exceed's quality. I think you will enjoy it just fine, I did. I really loved it, even though I would like notice every every once in a while that doesn't sound quite right. One thing I absolutely am going to give them huge props for is they brought back almost every single voice actor who was returning. Almost every single voice actor, with the exception of a few people, uh, some of whom made sense because the character aged and others because uh, of scheduling conflicts. And even the people that were replaced sound great, perfect. I even actually like some of them a bit better than the original voice actors. There's a lot of voice, different voice characters in this game because there's a lot of characters in, you know, any Trails game. 
it's amazing that they brought everyone back and everyone does a really good job. Sean Chiplock is amazing as Reen Schwarzer. Shout out to, to him. He does a great job. Um, New Class 7, I think, is very good. I, I, I loved all of them. So, so yeah, it's, it's good. And I think fans, especially fan, longtime fans who have been, you know, playing these games for a while will like this game. And I think new fans, you know, depending on where they're hopping in, will have something to, to really enjoy too. And then you can all join me in the daily, you know, begging scenario that is Cold Steel 4 when, Cold Steel 4 when, and why isn't it now? Can I ask something? I mean, we talked, I think we may have talked about this in the uh, pre-show. Um, what's really, I mean, based on what you've told me, but like I me, mean, the level of quality control and consistency in this is absolutely crazy considering how many of these games came out in the last few years. I'm just looking at the Wikipedia article mm-hmm. now. Like, just like when I read your review, like I'm, I'm sold listening to you talk about it. I'm completely sold about it. Where would you recommend jumping in? Because there's like, 27 games on this list here and i'm wondering <laughs> where the best place to uh dip my toe in would be well i wonder also if there's like a place where we can kind of do what we did with kingdom hearts where we have like a feature on it or even like a spoiler cast of like you know a primer guide yeah to kiseki or to no kiseki i've been thinking about doing something similar to um you, if you are a falcom fan you might have looked at uh robert fenner's uh ease guide made us a little sort of so you want to get into ease feature for rpg fan where he kind of went over the series as a whole and he went through the different games in the series i've been thinking about that the tricky thing has always been how to discuss the crossbell games and also how to discuss the games at all without spoiling the games in terms of like you know what do i how do i describe ao no kiseki in a way that like explains what the game is about without necessarily spoiling certain things from from zero or how do i how do i explain why a game like ao no kiseki is really great and it would be great if we could all play it without you know talking about story and how do i do it succinctly because these games are huge and talking about why they're good i could write like an article just about one game and it would probably be like two plus 2000 plus words but that is something that we, I think, be good for us to do. Um, and I, now that I'm finished with Cold Steel Three, I think would be something I could, I could, I could work on. But I guess to succinctly answer the question um, about where to start, you know, different fans will have different opinions as to whether or not it's best to play the games in like release order, or whether you should play them, you know, in a in a different order. I know that when I tried playing FC, Sky FC first, I got distracted. It wasn't that I was like, oh, I don't like this. It was just because it was so slow, I got distracted from, from playing it by other games. And I didn't have the the motivation, per se, when I first tried it, because I didn't know anything about the series. All I knew was that it was, uh, that people loved it, that, you know, there were people who were like, who was like, this is amazing, and that's all I knew. And I think as a result, it was easy for me to drop the game. Whereas when I played Cold Steel, which while Cold Steel 1 is still a slow, you know, you know, opening, it takes, you know, half the game before plot elements really start to to turn. I think Cold Steel might be an easier game for people to start off with in part because of the, you know, it's a, it's a more modern game. So some of the changes to gameplay and the structure and whatnot and you know uh it's on a more 
modern well i mean sky's on a pc so it what is what does modern mean when your games are on pc mm. but i think it's 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 i don't know that there's a definitive answer i think i think if you look at at sky if you try sky fc and you're like i'm not sure i'm feeling this then it might be good to skip ahead and play uh, you're probably going to want to play Cold Steel 1 and 2 back to, to, to back to back because Cold Steel 1 ends on a cliffhanger as well. I don't know that I would want to play Cold Steel 1 and then let it sit for like No, I don't want to feel dead inside like you do now. Yeah. So, you know, if, if you're not sure if Sky's going to grab you at first, then Cold Steel 1 is a, is a good place to start. And ultimately, it's because I played Cold Steel 1 that I, you know, got into the series and went back and played the older games. And I don't, I mean... I don't really think that you're going to necessarily have a lesser experience if you start with Cold Steel 1 and 2 and then jump back to the Sky games. I certainly didn't feel like I had a lesser experience. In fact, it was kind of fun having that sort of reverse experience where instead of playing the more recent game and seeing the references when I played it, I went back and played the older games and saw how those elements would eventually go into and be relevant for Cold Steel one and two. And then when I replayed Cold Steel one and part of two, um, it was much more like, oh, now I see, or little things that I hadn't quite noticed before. Yeah, you just, you process as like a really incontinuity prequel. Yeah. And it's kind of, that's kind of a cool thing. Like it's, it's another avenue in which the games are really well done because you can do it. You can play them in release order if you want. But for the most part, you could also play them out of release order and you could get a kind of a different experience either way. Um, and neither would feel like, you know, like lesser. Like, I don't think if somebody, I didn't feel when I went back and played Cold, uh, Sky, like, oh, man, I was really missing out by not having this context when I went into Cold Steel. And I don't think that, you know, you, the reverse, that you would feel the same way either. Like, oh, man, I wish I'd done it the other way around. I think... Either way is valid. Now, when it comes to Cold Steel 3 and 4, definitely I would say try to play the Sky games first if you can. Um, and Crossbell's in a weird position because of the, you know, we don't have an official localization of that game yet, so that's harder to say, you know, play this. But I think, you know, good starting points, of course, Cold Steel 1 or Trails in the Sky, and it'll just kind of depend on, you know you know how the individual you you, everyone knows themselves better than anyone else and if you you know looking at sky um from screenshots or from you know summaries of the game and whatnot if you think well i'm not sure that i would be able to stick with this then cold steel one might grab you more and if it does then i think it makes it easier to go back to the older games and be motivated to play through them that wasn't really a succinct answer. I'm sorry. I should stop saying that I'm going to be succinct when I, I know I'm not because it's like impossible for me to give a short answer to anything. So. And yet you try to keep my reviews under 1500. I don't understand. Well, I'm, Pot, I'm clearly black, Caitlin. I'm clearly a hypocrite because I don't think I've written a review under 1500 pages, or 1500 words in my life. So, you know, <laughs> there's a reason why we don't edit our own reviews. <laughs> exactly. Kind of kill our own babies. Uh, so, yeah. Um, anyway, it's good. It's good. Play it if you're a fan. If you're not, there's a little, there's like, you know, there's seven other games. Well, for us, there's five other games uh, in the series uh, that are all really good. I'm going to have to like put a spoiler or not a spoiler, I guess like a 
a disclaimer at the beginning of the episode, like jump to an hour and five if you want to just hear the succinct response I'm to sorry. how Treasure Cold Steel 3 is. Oh my gosh, <laughs> I have been talking for an hour, haven't I? Oh, I'm so sorry. It's okay. You, How many hours did you put into this game? Um, I honestly don't know because the counter keeps counting even when the system is in standby. Ah. So, oh, interesting. Yeah. I don't know. Cool. Um, I, I mean, I would. I almost never beat a, a, a Trails game with less than 100 hours on the clock. I'm a slower player. So you're like, you've spoken about a fraction as you played it. It's fine. I'm not like, I'm not like Mr. Robot who has our streaming for us and can play these games in, in like less than than 60 hours. I'm not... He's a talented machine. He's very well designed. <laughs> Having played it and invested that much time, it only makes sense that you would have a lot to say about it. Yeah. But that being said, uh, we do have... Other things that have come out recently, like The Outer Worlds, uh, which dropped two weeks ago now. Or yeah, yeah that was on the 25th. And Jono, you had uh, some a really great uh, review written about it. The video review went up and has been really well received as well. Again, thanks for contributing to that. That's nice to hear. Thank you, David, for making it. And yeah, what have you got to say about that? Uh, well, uh this is a game that I've been looking forward to for quite some time. Uh, I feel like a lot of people have who are fans of Fallout uh well, followed in general, especially after last year's, uh, I guess, personal disappointment about seventy six coming out, and I've been, I've, and we will get to that. And we will get to that. But I've been looking. There's, a, it's a niche that you want to get scratched, and it just, uh, it's been a while, and all of a sudden this thing comes out, and it's like, it's pretty much everything you wanted it to be, and more than that. Um, Obsidian did a remarkable job on this game just absolutely remarkable especially considering the budget they were working with like it's not a, it's not a, they've been saying a lot it's actually i think it's almost part of their marketing they're saying that this is not a triple a game do not come into this expecting a triple a game and the reality is that if i didn't know better i would have been like oh yeah the quality's way beyond the usual triple a like way beyond you mean like short falling short uh it, in terms of the quality of uh the Outer Worlds. I've, there are a lot of AAA games that come out, especially in the last few years, where you know you, they just fall short of your expectations, and you think, "Oh, this is this could have used an extra year and a half of uh, worth of development to really pump this thing up." But in terms of the Outer Worlds, the level of polish that they put on this thing is absolutely remarkable. For those who haven't played the game or don't really know about it, it doesn't have anything to do with Fallout. It's a spiritual sequel or successor, I guess you could say, and it's about a uh, it's about a colony, uh, a space colony set in the Halcyon system. And uh, in this world, it's set in an alternate history. That's not a big thing. It's set in an alternate history where robber baron corporations were basically allowed to continue to flourish. And eventually these corporations gained the same status and uh, of countries. And when humanity decided to leave and explore the stars, uh, many of these corporations would bid on systems. And they were given systems. So in this particular case, the Halcyon system is a conglomerate, I guess, of uh, 11 different corporations, each one with their own corporate ethos, their own beliefs, their own products, their own branding. And they were given different... Every town in the game, for example, is branded with a different one of these corporations. So in the game, you are a colonist who was on a colony ship that got lost for 70 years. And uh, a criminal scientific genius, Phineas Wells, finds your colony ship he boards it and he thaws you out and then he sets you out on a mission to get the chemicals that he needs to thaw out the fellow your fellow colonists on this ship 
But of course, like most great RPGs, that's just the beginning. And once you're given your overall mission, you can choose to focus on it or you can just, you know, dick around the galaxy and do, or dick around the solar system and do whatever you want. Uh, and that can include, you know, killing him the first chance you get, uh, trying to take over all of the corporation for yourself, being a freedom fighter. There's a ridiculous amount of freedom of choice in this game. You can... One, another one of the big things that Obsidian was saying is you can kill anybody in this game. Like in, in some RPGs, you can kill almost anyone, but occasionally you shoot someone and they sit down for a minute and then they get up because they're plot essential. In this game, you can kill anybody at all and the game will continue to chug along, uh, which, I mean, I, I don't play the game like that personally. I, I have never really been a fan of indiscriminately killing people in games or in real life. What about so, what about Phineas? Could you kill Phineas? Uh, I don't think you can right off the bat, but you certainly will have that opportunity. Oh boy! Yeah, I know. I mean, again, I have not done that personally um, because it would require a completely new playthrough to get to that point. But I believe you can. Obsidian has said you can kill anybody, so it would make sense to be able to kill him. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I have you have you started playing it, Caitlin? No, I, I haven't. I'm going to be honest, I'm probably going to drink the Kojima juice and get Death Stranding next week, so I've been holding off. I didn't want to pick this game up if I knew I was going to be playing another game in a week. From what I've read, you'll either be playing it for literally months, or you'll play 10 minutes and be like, and nope, be like nope, 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 yeah. <laughs> but I want to get it. I definitely want to get it. I like, um, I, I agree, I think the itch needs to be scratched, because I've had that itch for quite some time, because the last Ditto. the last experience I had like that was Fallout 4, and I didn't... It's still sitting on my shelf, and I want to play it, but I also don't want to play it, so... I completely understand. Um, I mean, and I I personally, I don't want to kill Phineas. He's like, uh, he's, he strikes me as like a slightly more criminal Doc Brown, which kind of makes me as Marty, so <laughs> I'm a... Yeah, you definitely don't want to go down that road if you are a fan of that piece of nostalgia. No, I don't want to kill Doc. No! But it definitely is something I want to invest in as well. And like I like just speaking to what you were saying about the story and the world building. Like uh, It appeals to me... Which has been a, it's been a big cautionary tale in a lot of sci-fi, this whole idea that the corporations are going to get us. And it's seeming more and more like that is our inevitable future. So I, I want to explore that more. And I like that aspect is in this as well. Like it's just getting them in as much media as possible, which is the job of sci-fi is to make us stop and go, wait a minute. But the fact that you have so much freedom in and of itself to choose if you want to embrace that and what that world means or not is really interesting, too. And that's one of the things that I like about this when I mean, the Fallout, the two directors of this game were two of the creators of the original Fallout, like not the not Bethesda's Fallout 3, like the very original turn based uh, isometric Fallout. And yeah, and those are rad. Yeah, they are. And uh, a lot of the reason why those games were why the first game especially was so successful is because of the satire on modern society. But, you know, based around the idea of the apocalypse. And this game has a very similar sensibility, but looking at where we are today and where corporations, yeah, there are exaggerations. It's satire in a lot of places, the way a lot of these corporations have wormed their way into the lives of every single person in this colony, but it never feels fake. It never feels artificial. Like every single company, they have their own jingles, uh, their own branding. One of the most engaging, interesting characters in the game is you come upon a, a merchant for uh, a company named Spacer's Choice, which is essentially like the, the if you're in Canada, I guess, the no-frills, the no-frills, no-name brand of uh, equipment. And he is basically permanently stuck inside the corporate mascot costume. And he just, <laughs> he just lives, he just lives inside this moonhead. And his worldview has been shaped by this. And it's, he's one of the saddest, funniest characters I think I've ever encountered in an RPG. 
he's just so sad and you just it very engagingly performed oh that's another thing the voice acting in this game is just really fantastic and here's the point where i think the double is it a double a budget comes uh really shows itself because unlike with fallout there's not quite as much voice acting in this game as there would be in a fallout game for example uh one of my favorite things about fallout which unfortunately 76 took to extreme lengths was audio voice logs audio logs so you could hear like what people were doing before the apocalypse and it would be a great way of telling stories and in this game you only have terminals and you have text and there are uh transcriptions of audio logs in these terminals but you don't quite get the same impact when you can't hear the uh hear the voices of the people going through uh what they uh what they experienced and occasionally you know you run into uh, NPCs just standing on the side of the road, and you hear the, you'll you'll hear the same conversations over and over and over again. But the quality of voice acting, on the other hand, is fantastic. I don't think they have really any major name performers in this game. I think the biggest name in it is uh, she's done quite a bit of YouTube and stuff, and quite a bit of voice acting, and she's exceptional. It's my favorite NPC in the game, Bavardi. Uh, she does an amazing job. Ashley Birch, yeah. Is it? Oh, it's Birch. She's great. Really, just. Uh, her performance is, it's not just engaging, it's endearing. She really does bring this character right right into your heart. She's really good. I love she her. She is. Yeah, if, you, um, if you've played Horizon Zero Dawn, she's, she's Aloy. Yeah, she's fantastic. Yeah, I, uh, I really, really enjoyed her work. And everybody in the game, there's, there are a few little performances where you go, Ugh. but for the most part, like certainly all of your companions, uh, exceptionally high level of performance and acting. Your companions are very different. There's no, it doesn't feel like there's any, uh, uh, any repetition. I mean, okay. I, I mentioned this in the review and I can't help it, but like on your first planet, you're on a backwater planet and there's guitar playing in the background and you have a quirky, uh, awkward chief engineer and a, uh, a holy man with a violent streak. And you're on this beaten, you're on this beaten up ship. Uh, and it, it's, you're playing Firefly. It's not, it's, it's <laughs> not even hidden. You're playing Firefly. It's a Firefly RPG. Mm-hmm. Like I said in the review, it feels like they lost the license to a Firefly RPG within the first five hours of the game and then just took it off from there. Yeah. I wonder if your suspicions are correct or not. Cause yeah, you're on the market. Now, I don't sure. know. Now I want that Firefly RPG. I think that this is going to scratch that itch too. But the once the game, once you leave your first planet, and you, you, I guess your first location, the game takes off in its own directions, and you start getting very interesting uh, other NPCs and companions. Unlike other games, you can't really romance your companions, which I don't mind. I've never really liked romancing my companions. It always felt a little bit, especially in this game, you're their captain. That would be, that would be creepy. It's fan servicey. Yeah. It's power. So it's like a, it's power. Hey, Commander Shepard was their captain too, and then didn't stop her from you know doing stuff. Yeah, it's just a, a gross abuse of authority, if you ask me. Um, <laughs> the, the the staff and the employee employer relationship is boundaries have been crossed. Uh, I think repeatedly in many RPGs, as a matter of fact. Um, but in this game, you're actually not romancing any of your. In fact, in one case, and it's Brevardi, you're actually facilitating a romance, and you're you're helping her. Uh, you're helping her have the the perfect first date, and which results unfortunately in a few fetch quests around the system. But it's uh, I got really invested in this relationship, and was like just thrilled when uh, 
I mean, in my in my playthrough anyway, it went off great, and they were very happy, and that that made me very happy. I, I much preferred that to having Romancer myself, which would have wouldn't have read right to me. Um, on the whole, though, I mean, the game, like I said, the game's great. Um, it plays like a Fallout game uh, in a lot of ways. Uh, Vats isn't there, so you can't stop time, but you do slow down time. You can't individually target body parts. It goes into slow motion, and you can target uh you can target body parts from there um and again that all depends on your play style like my general default when i play this kind of game is to play as a sniper i like sniping the only issue with being a sniper is you got to be really careful about your companion's uh settings when it comes to engaging with the enemy because if you are sneaking and you get a headshot those two are just going to go screaming into battle whether or not you want them to so you've got to be very careful about making sure that they are on uh either passive or defensive I like the companion system in this. They feel much more active. You actually have some control over your companions. Uh, you can target individual enemies and tell them, attack that person, attack that person. Or you can tell them to hit uh, enemies with their special attacks. Um, it makes them feel much more useful, I guess, than the average RPG companion. They become... Okay, here's the captain in me. They become tools for you to use. And I, 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 I think the system is very well implemented. Is there... Is there any kind of like loyalty system where like can you can you lose them as companions if you do things certain things they don't, they don't like? You can. Um, Ooh. You can, especially early on in the game. Um, I don't. I guess okay. This is going to be a quick spoiler for like a minute for whoever's listening. But like you first meet Pavardi, her boss tells you to go and uh, go with you and take care of this problem, uh, which is some of the colon some of the uh, people in this particular town have abandoned the town and he wants you to get them back and he wants you to uh disable their power so Pavardi is kind of on this guy's side because she's a loyal member of the town and you have a choice between taking the power away from his town or taking the power away from the uh the uh people who left and she gives you like a very heartfelt plea like please don't destroy this town that i grew up in where there are all these people who are just trying to live the best lives they can and, you know, you can listen to her or not, and if you don't listen to her, she gets very, very sad. And then if after the mission's over, if you go up to uh, her boss and he says, what are you doing? Why Why did you... Uh, you can kill him. And if you kill him, she loses her mind and says, oh my god, you, you killed him. What are you, what are you doing? I can't be with you. And at that point, she either leaves, or you could tr- you, if you have enough uh, enough charisma, I think it is, you can pass a speech check to keep her with you. But yeah, the loyalty system with the characters isn't explicitly said there's no point like in fallout where it's like oh Pavardi didn't like that but your actions will have uh constant your actions uh directly impact your relationship on them and the way that they uh develop as characters especially in their side quests where you can go off on a side quest like for example Pavardi's uh romanceable side quest i mean if you wanted to you could probably uh sabotage it like crazy <laughs> oh boy that's how i felt i was like no i don't want to do that but there are other people like uh like Max, who is your uh, respective holy man, he's on a quest, uh, and you can your choices that you make on this quest and the the speech checks and things that you pass will directly impact the the conclusions that he comes to. I uh, you can invest quite a bit of time in your companions if you want to. Again, it's side content; they're side quests. It's not necessary, but it is. I think it's well worth it. I certainly got invested in my companions. Uh, and I think that players should uh, spend some time getting to know them because I think it's well worth it, well worth it. I love anything that like 
really engages you and connects you with the characters. And I love from what you've said in it, from what people have been saying about a lot of those storylines and especially, yeah, like the, the Pavardi going on a date thing, like when it gets you invested in these characters beyond just um, like waifu or husbando like investment yeah. where you just want to see them succeed. You want to see them do well. You, you're curious about their stories, which again was a great aspect of the original fallout mm. one and two, because you would get companions to come along with you and, I, I, I vaguely remember because it's been a long time, but I do just remember their opinions mattering and getting to know them in order to get them to join you or whatever was a big part of it and part of what got you invested beyond just like, oh, they look like they have interesting skills, but having their opinions and such matter was fantastic. And that's what made like Dragon Age fantastic as well, because you had that investment and, of course, Mass Effect. Like those games that get you in there beyond just the 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 dating sim aspect of it is so welcome. And I love that this game does that. And brings that. To and it. I mean, there was that kind of thing in. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think it was the same sort of thing in New Vegas, where you got your companions, but I don't think any of them were romanceable. I think most of them were literally your companions, um, and you could flirt with them occasionally, but I don't think that you could sleep with any of them. I'm a bad gamer, and I still haven't played New Vegas, even though it has been sitting in my Steam backlog for ages just mm. new things keep coming up and i've always wanted to go back to it because of the brilliance i've heard it uh well, i remember the first time i played it i was i was in theater school in scotland and i had a week off and i was like you know what i'm finally gonna play fallout 3 and i during my week off i just that's all i did for the week i just played fallout 3 and then immediately after i finished it i was like i want more fallout so uh i went to fallout new vegas and that was a that was a busy two weeks where I would be coming back from school and then I'd be playing New Vegas and it just absolutely hooked me. Just a, an amazing an amazing world game. By that point in time, the game was a few years old, so it didn't look brilliant, but I quickly learned about mods and uh, modding the game to make it look a little bit more modern and to smooth out some of the bugs because, oh my god, that game is the buggiest. It's one of the buggiest games ever made. And still sits and there, still sits unfortunately. there. Unfortunately, I mean, if you use if you use uh, some fan made uh, mods and patches, most of them are uh, fixed. Which is actually something I wanted to mention about the Outer Worlds. Which is, I went into the Outer Worlds. Like, let's Fallout seventy six for another example. Is uh, it certainly gives New Vegas a run for its money in terms of its bugginess, especially when it first got released. But the Outer Worlds, when New Vegas got released. It got Obsidian a reputation for releasing buggy games, which was, you know, not really their fault. I think they were under a massive time crunch. But The Outer Worlds, I was really on the lookout for bugs. And although there were a few bugs, there were a few lighting lighting issues where the lighting would just jump around. And But nobody fell through the world. All NPCs were alive when they were supposed to be. The game played exactly as it should have. And that was such a huge relief to play a game that was not a buggy disaster and yeah there were some you know there are a few things that i i know for a fact they'll patch out and they'll fix but it was not just playable it was playable beginning to end smoothly with no issues i think at one the, one of the only major bugs that i experienced playing the game was eventually they started the dialogue started skipping i couldn't i, I couldn't hear anything it was like my character literally it was like my character would go deaf where i could hear the uh, I could hear things like menus and moving like my cursor around, but like nothing in the world would be there, and I couldn't figure out why. And then I restarted the game. Well, that's weird. Yeah, I restarted the game, and then it just went away. So, I mean, if anyone experiences that bug, just 
restart, close it, re, uh, turn off your uh, PC or your PS4 or whatever you're playing it on, and re- and then the bug went away. And that was it. Um, I mean, rebooting's a pain, but if it has to happen, it has yeah, to happen. And it only happened once in the entire playthrough. So, yeah, I mean, again, I was playing it immediately when it came out, so there's a good chance that's that's already fixed for all I know. Well, that's good to hear, because, yeah, they definitely have an unfortunate bit of a reputation, but uh, it seems... if I feel like... Leaning so heavily on the double A aspect was a bit of a underpromise, overdeliver marketing ploy for them that has worked out very much in their favor. But definitely a bit of like covering their butts just in case some of their old habits kind of cropped up. But I imagine they knew they were releasing something quality finished. They learned from their mistakes clearly. I think so too. Um, and the game does. I think they're really on record as saying they want to do a sequel, and I, I I'm very excited for that. Not just because I enjoy the game, but because. There were a lot of parts of the Outer Worlds which you really want to see them develop a lot more. You wanted to see them go more in depth. You wanted to get to know more about these the corporations, the board, uh, the various worlds. In fact, there's even a... What I was very impressed with is how they took the conventions of Fallout and uh, basically mapped them onto this entirely new context, and it still works. Like, I guess this is another spoiler coming up for anyone, so if you want to uh, skip... My favorite thing, and I think most people's favorite thing about Fallout, is the vaults and exploring vaults and seeing, going in and seeing how these little miniature societies broke down. Um, and in this game, they have their own version of vaults, which are the colony ships. Um, and there are only two colony ships in this game, and they are, you know, very similar to each other. They're both the same design, um, but they both took very different directions in where they developed. And I feel like in future games, we're probably going to see a lot more colony ships and uh, very similar to what vaults were, which is you're going to enter the colony ship and you're going to find out like, okay, how did they screw this up? How did this society break down? It's uh, The game is exceptionally good at giving a Fallout fan what they want, but not in the way they are used to or expecting. And I think that has the makings of a brand new franchise that I think think will continue uh into the future if this thing is a uh, as big a success as it looks to be and i think that's great for obsidian for them to get their own ip to differentiate and still give people what they want and what they kind of seem to be nailing right considering that unfortunately bethesda seems to be losing their edge with fallout uh, and making losing their edge poor use of it i think the edge was lost i think the edge was lost uh at some point around last year actually right well, if you have a, what else, uh, do you have any more that you want to throw in on the Outer Worlds, uh, or did you yeah, want to get into that? Uh, briefly, I could just, I just wanted to mention, I agree with what you said there, which is, it's really nice that they have this uh, new IP to play with, because, I mean, Obsidian is, they're, the foundation of Obsidian is working on other people's IPs, whether it be uh, Kotar, or Fallout New Vegas, or Dragon Siege, like, they, uh, they really, it wasn't until, I might be wrong about this, I think their first big uh, IP that was their own was Pillars of Eternity, and that wasn't until uh, that wasn't until like five years ago. So that now they have this uh, this incredible world that they created, uh, this playground, and it's not just this system either. I mean, the idea is colony ships were sent out everywhere to all of these different systems. So now they have the freedom to create even new corporations and other colony ships and create entirely new circumstances in other systems that have no no connection to uh, the Halcyon system in this at all, which opens the door to a lot of new stories, uh, ideas, crossovers eventually. I, I think it's I think it's a remarkable foundation for what I hope is to come. 
they've got a deep well to dive into. They do. They really do. It's it's funny. I mean, I I played this on PlayStation Four, and I I'm a new PlayStation Four uh, owner. I, I got it a couple months ago. In fact, it's been I refer to it as the the useless black box sitting in my living room for quite some time <laughs> until I got my uh, until I got uh, the Outer Worlds, and because of that, I'm used to I'm a keyboard mouse guy. So it's the first uh, it's the first RPG I've played where I've been. Uh, having or FPS where I've been having to use the controller, and I'm not gonna lie, that took that took a good couple of days to get used to. Um, especially because I tend to be a stealth player, and I was just missing bloody every shot I took. But then I got used to it, and controls are very good in this game. Um, you don't need to use a keyboard and mouse, but uh, yeah, it's uh, I have no idea how this thing is gonna come off on the Switch when they put it out. Oh yes, uh, I was seeing headlines about that about how they. They weren't. Were they, was it that they weren't sure that it was going to be able to run on Switch, or that that they weren't sure they were the, they were going to be doing a Switch version at some point? It's announced. Um, I I mean, maybe it's because of the budget, but the game is not a graphic powerhouse. It's a beautiful game, but the beauty of the game more comes out of the design than it does uh, the uh, actual. Gra- I guess the the graphic quality. It's. Uh, like I like I was talking about the corporations. Every corporation has its own branding, and it's very, very. It's a unique brand for every for every single one. Everybody they have their own uh, jingles, their own marketing slogans, their and specifically their own design language, which goes into and informs every product that these companies release in the game. Um, and that was that must have taken forever. And not just that, they also had to create uh, these environments, and each world is terraformed. But the terraforming was happened on top of something that already existed. So you get entirely alien environments uh, that and, and alien creatures. And a really, really cool thing is like a lot of these alien creatures in the loading screens, you get anatomical diagrams that look like naturalists from uh, the 19th century drew them and like dissected them and drew these and drew these detailed images of how these creatures uh, exist and their skeletal systems. And it just really makes them feel like they're real uh, physical animals that are roaming this uh, these worlds. They've clearly put some thought into yeah how they've made them and how they interact with the environments. Very much so. Uh, they feel they feel like parts of their environment. Uh, they feel like envi- they feel like animals that were taken in an evolutionary direction that they weren't supposed to because of the terraforming. Um, and that's actually a plot point in the game for one of the. One of the worlds was a, it was terraformed, but it went horribly wrong, and they ended up with uh, beasts that made the world extraordinarily dangerous. So. That's cool that they thought about that. Yeah, I mean, I, to be honest, I think they thought about everything. Like, the amount of thought that went into this game is just jaw dropping. But no, I, uh, I absolutely loved it. I don't think it's going to be my top score of the year, but it's definitely going to be one of my favorite games of the year, and certainly one of my favorite experiences. It truly seems that way. I mean, you gave it editor's choice. Again, your review speaks very well of it and points out what to love, what is lacking. And overall, though, it still seems you've come out with a fantastic experience. Mm. I, uh, yeah, at some point, if I have an extra additional couple of days, I would love to do a playthrough where I, uh, I, I don't know, try to take over the corporations, for example, and see where that takes me. The replay value seems pretty rad. A lot of choice in this game. That's awesome. Well, speaking of taking over corporations, uh, someone really needs to do some hard work over at Bethesda and fix things because oh. uh, what they've been doing with Fallout 76, you know, your first review notwithstanding and how poorly it fell to the floor, 
But now with this whole monthly subscription thing where it basically works out to being a hundred bucks a year for Fallout first to basically get, you know, a private server was really what it boils down to. It just seems ridiculous. A private server that isn't really private. Or working at this point, really. <laughs> yeah. And unlimited storage that destroys the things you put in it. Uh, it's, I mean, anyone could have predicted that, though. Like, the second you heard that they were releasing I a know, members-only thing, yeah. you were like, okay, based on every single thing that's happened with Fallout 76 over the last year, they're gonna screw, th- they're gonna screw this up somehow. It shocks me that, this, I mean, I pull for them, and I want things to go well, and it seems like there's a lot to build on and to improve on this, and they were trying to make some good faith after E3, and I don't want to see anyone you know lose their jobs over you know clearly putting so much work and passion and stuff into it but it is really hard to see how any of these people still have jobs i uh am 100 in agreement it's funny in preparation i was going through my i was going through my review last year and i i just the, my opening paragraph i completely forgot about this which is <laughs> i i got the launcher i downloaded it i hit play the loading screen appeared and then the game immediately crashed and in retrospect, I probably never should have reinst- uh, tried it again. That would have been that would have been a nice place to end it, and I would have gotten the same experience in a much shorter form that everyone afterwards got playing Fallout seventy six. It's it's a real shame too, because the games, even I like I am not a Bethesda hater by any stretch of the imagination. I think that their environmental storytelling is unparalleled. I think it is exceptionally well done. And even the environmental storytelling in Fallout 76, um, although it does over-rely on audio logs, um, is amazing. Um, the world space is well-realized. It is gigantic uh, with, indiv- with areas that feel very distinct from each other. Like the the bones of an amazing followed experience are there, but just the choices they made from that point make very little sense to me to where Greg, like you said, I feel like there's gotta be somebody behind Bethesda right now, almost forcing them to make these choices because although Bethesda games have always been, you know, buggy, the, the, the money grubbing decisions that they've been making, the, the nickel and diming they've been doing of, their players and Fallout First is just the latest example of that. I, I can't understand what they are doing and how they have taken a company that had the goodwill of almost every gamer on the planet and transformed it in just one year to what it is today, which is a laughing stock. And you're absolutely right. I feel like somebody has to be held responsible for that. I don't know who it is. I don't know. I don't know if anyone ever will be, but somebody needs to be removed from this issue and maybe somebody could start fixing it. Like, it seems like there's like a board of directors and investors sitting beside and behind this whole team just kind of saying, hey, this whole Fallout 76 thing that you thought was going to be so great didn't make us any money. So now we're going to force you to do this and this and this and this to try and make that money back. Here's the thing, though. I don't know if it's making them. I think it might be making them money. Um, there's no way to know really, because obviously they're not releasing like the amount of players that are playing it, but rumor has it that there are a fair number of Fallout First users out there who have actually subscribed to the service. Um, we don't have a way of knowing whether or not Fallout 76 has been really successful or not, especially in this later stage. They might be making insane amounts of money based on the, uh, based on their, uh, their, uh, the shop that you buy cosmetic items in. Right, yeah, they're pay-to-play kind of aspect yeah, stuff. The premium shop. The premium whatever. shop. They might be making 
uh, insane amounts of money from it. We just don't know. Um, we everyone's Fair everyone's enough. looking at Fallout first and saying, "Oh my God, what a disaster!" And they might be looking at the book saying, "Well, financially speaking, this is a success. We should just keep doing this." Now, I I the, the idea that anybody would be saying that would blow my mind, but you never know. Yeah, until they decide to be more upfront about earnings and such which that's not really on them to need to do that but exactly i think that my my suspicion about fallout 76 and fallout first and what went extraordinarily wrong with this and the launch was they were supposed to be releasing i think it was called the wastelanders which was going to be their latest season two essentially of fallout 76 where they were going to be introducing npcs entirely new quest lines um it sounded like they were going to be making it into a bit more of a traditional fallout game um and then they delayed it and then, like, a week later, they announced Fallout First. And I feel like Fallout First was... I might be wrong about this. I feel like Fallout First was going to be designed to be incorporated into the Wastelanders. Um, and by releasing this massive content update, um, basically a rebuild of the entire game and the concept of the game from the ground up, the original concept was every person in the game is a real person. And by releasing the Wastelanders, they're saying, well, now we're going to have... NPCs which can direct the story. I feel like by reframing the entire basis of the game and by releasing Fallout First at the same time, it might have softened the blow. It might have made a lot of users say, okay, well, I, I don't want to pay $100 a year, but at the very least, they are giving me this massive free content update at the same time, which gives me everything that I wanted from Fallout in the first place. Um, but yeah. then they delayed it. And by delay, and they didn't delay Fallout first um, for reasons that I can, for the life of me, not figure out. So the big, the big Halloween present for everyone was this: give us uh, money, give us money, and yeah. it landed like it landed with a thud, unheard in video games since Fallout seventy six got released last year. Um, yeah, I I one hundred percent agree with that. I think that a lot of the incredulity that's being that's being expressed right now is because from our perspective what they're doing is they're asking people to pay not just more money but to pay them an annual fee to play the existing game which they've made improvements to but i mean come on it's they've you know they put a bow on a pig and made it smell a little bit nicer but it's still got problems i i agree i think this would have come off a lot better received if it had been in conjunction with like even just like i don't know a release date or like you know it's on the horizon for this this uh this rework because then there would have been a reason maybe to say okay i'll give you my my money for that because that looks good and if it's going to fit into this rework then that might be a worthy investment right now it's just like it i think a lot of people are looking at this and thinking well this they're doing this because they didn't make enough money with base fallout 76 and premium shop stuff this is to help them i mean and it probably it still probably is but like it comes off super obviously as a cash grab as opposed to what it's probably meant to be interpreted as as uh uh as a service an additional service to go along with more content for the game to enhance the yeah, experience, which yeah. it clearly does not seem to be doing. Seems to be doing the opposite, actually. Oh, very much so. And I mean, there are so many ways that they could have uh, fixed this problem. They could have made it play. I mean, any time this kind of service is introduced, the most obvious thing to do is make the core game free to play. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and then give all existing players some kind of a big content bonus where they get like exclusive armors or things like that to make up for the fact that they paid for it originally. And then you have the subscription service and it's free to play and not everyone is angry with you. But no, you still have to pay for the game. And then on top of that, you now need to pay an additional $100 for the ability to play in private worlds and to, you know, store your stash and for, uh, uh, I think, a piece of armor that fans have been asking for for quite some time. Um, And that's it. Yeah, well, I give them points for commitment and for doubling down on uh, their investment. (laughs) But we will see how far this lands. I mean, they have refunds that they're supposed to be trying to give out in Australia and such, too, because of the fiasco this is. Uh, We'll find out. I might be completely wrong. I I think Bethesda's making money off this game. I don't think you're wrong. I don't think it's going to be a huge amount. I don't think it's a blockbuster game, but I don't think this game was designed to be a blockbuster game. I think this game was designed with the intent, whether or not that intent was pushed on them by investors, uh, to provide a consistent level of income for the company. Rather, Yeah, and the patch things in between five, 4 and 5. Yeah, and I mean, I don't... I, 5 at this point, I think... If they announced 5 at this E3, upcoming E3 next year... I think that it would I think that would be the worst thing they could possibly do. I think that their I think that their credibility has been absolutely demolished. Uh and I believe that they are going to have to pull something off with uh Elder Scrolls 6 for example. They're going to have to release something that shows that they still care about their user base and that they still care about creating games that are experiences that aren't designed to just rake in as much money as possible. Uh, before they could even think about releasing a Fallout 5. I mean, who knows? Yeah. I mean, for all we know, Fallout 5 could be announced for iOS at this E3, and it's entirely free-to-play, but it's entirely creation content, um, creation club content-based. It it does seem kind of on-brand at this point, and the sad thing is, that's Bethesda's brand now. That's what they have pushed this company into becoming over the last two years. It's, yeah, it's rough to see different ways different companies are taking the modern change in the gaming environment so yeah we can only i guess wait and see what comes out next but i think you're right that they they have some credibility they need to rebuild and give us some good faith that isn't just another vr remake or switch port or something like they need to make the next thing land well or they are going to struggle even more than they already are even if not financially uh, definitely in the eyes of their fans yeah what they need to do is what Square Enix did with Final Fantasy, uh, Final Fantasy uh, 14. 14, 14, which is they they need to throw up their hands, say, OK, our bad. We're going to fix this. Um, and they never they said that they released a blog post saying, OK, our bad. We'll fix this. But they never did. Something drastic needs to be done about Fallout 76. And I don't know if it ever will be. And based on Fallout first, I don't think it will. Fallout 76. Rise from the shadows. I would play it. I, I would... mean, World of Warcraft is doing it. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> they are They are quite, uh, they're not even being subtle about how they're taking inspiration from 14 and Shadowbringers, so. With Shadowlands, yeah. yeah. So. <laughs> it's funny. Uh, it'd just be funny. It's like Fallout 76, the bomb hit again. No. Uh, it would be nuts. At any rate, um, quickly wrapping things up today. We had a great question from one of our users on Discord, uh, Cyanide who was asking us what our most meh game of this past year was. Um, 
I had brought it up last episode with Nathan and I, but we had some audio issues and we couldn't get Nathan's answer properly for some reason in the recording. So we just skipped it, cut it out, moving on, bringing it forward. Now we got more people to answer. Uh, but for those curious, I think Nathan had said Little Town Hero was his most meh game, uh, which his review will be reflecting. And uh, as he talked about it on the episode as well. For myself, I had the distinct displeasure, but also, I don't know, it had moments of playing Citizens of Space and kind of like what you went through with Fallout 76, Jono, getting to the final boss for me and having that boss fight crash like four oh. times. I eventually got to a point where I was like, you know what? I don't care enough to try and make this game work for its sake. I shouldn't have to. So I'm done. And that was just one of many bugs and crashes and issues. Like there are side quests I couldn't complete because something wasn't triggering. There's complaints in the forums of like, I wanted to get to this box for this side quest and you can't actually get to it because they didn't design the map properly or something, like something was blocking it, (laughs) like little issues like that, which I know it's, it's a small team that was working on it. But again, you'd think with the backing of uh, like Sega money on it, they would have taken the time and the care to do this sort of stuff. And I know they're working very hard in good faith to go back and patch it. And I might be curious to go back and go through it. But anyways, between the slog of a lot of the so much of the mini game aspect of every single battle being drawn out and the story was, eh, it was okay and just big bunch of fetchy questy stuff it was a pretty eh game so that was mine citizens of space you can probably dodge it how about you two okay uh, mine is i mean probably our notice anthem was such a intense disappointment <laughs> i'm actually looking at my review for it right now and you know i gave it the absolute lowest score I've given a game, but I really probably should have given it less uh, in in retrospect because I just, I think part of it was I wrote the review after I beat the game and I was annoyed with it then, but it's been, you know, uh, the rest of the year now and I have never had the inclination whatsoever to go back to it and try stuff again. I have no motivation to even check out anything you know recent and from all accounts uh from we've been here you know bioware and ea aren't really you know super interested in 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 doing it either um so i know it it's really sad because i love bioware i love classic bioware uh or you know modern classic bioware so much and you know i I played I played Dragon Age Inquisition and I played Mass Effect Andromeda and to be fair when I played Andromeda f- through the playthrough it had, had it had gone through several patches um so it was wasn't quite as bad as it was when it launched but I still played those games um particularly Andromeda and was like I can see how the quality has suffered but it's not like this is the worst thing ever Anthem is possibly one of the worst things ever that BioWare has put out that I've been around playing games and been aware of of games to 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 mean to, to know of um it's just and it had it had good potential i mean like it was i was excited for it because i didn't really get into destiny very much i didn't really stick around for destiny i didn't really like parts of destiny and i thought you know, they're clearly trying to do Destiny here, but if it's Bioware doing Destiny, maybe it will actually have the things in it that I was really missing in Destiny. 
And it was maybe a little bit better than that, but not really. And it was actually kind of worse than Destiny in a lot of ways. Because, I mean, like, Destiny at least had a really good gameplay loop and reasons to keep playing it. And Anthem really didn't. <laughs> so it's just kind of... It's sad. And, I mean, as much as I didn't like it, I'm just... I'm scared for Bioware. Like, I'm... I'm really scared about Dragon Age 4 because, like, if Dragon Age 4 bombs in any way like Andromeda or Anthem did, I, I, I'm afraid for Bioware as, an, as a continuing company. Like, I'm just... And I don't... Even with all the issues they've had with their recent releases, I don't want them to not be a thing anymore because Mass Effect and Dragon Age... They have such a special place in my heart, and I want to believe that in the future something can recapture that magic. Even though we're kind of coming up with this, you know, we have to, you know, accept the fact that current Bioware is not the same as the Bioware that made those games that we love so much. So, yeah. Well, it's with this and with, like, the Bethesda conversation, I just hear that voice and, like, all dogs go to heaven of just, like, you can never go back. <laughs> But Square Enix has proven that you can, though. I mean, they've managed to rekindle some of their magic and revive their company. So eh, there's a chance. And even you could argue Nintendo, too, after Wii U was kind of... I mean, they still have some great first-party games, but there was doubt that their next console could land if this was the way things were going, and now the Switch is amazing. Yeah. So yeah, you, you, can, you can still maybe get it back with Bethesda and Bioware. There's hope, Caitlin. There's hope, I don't genre. know if there's hope or not. I, I, I feel like it... The the incentive needs to be there for the company to improve. And I think with maybe with That's BioWare, fair. I think it might be um, with Bethesda. I don't know. One can only speculate. Uh, what was your most meh game, John? So we can wrap up this, this show. Yeah. After the screed, I just went off on Fallout 76. You probably expect it to be that. And I'm looking at it. It was definitely my lowest rated game of the year, but my most disappointing game of the year was SteamWorld quest. Hand of Gilgamesh. Um, I was so excited for this game. Cause I, I, I think SteamWorld Dig and SteamWorld Dig 2 are just fantastic uh, Metroidvanias. Um, I think that uh, everything that everything that they do uh, has a certain imagination to it and style and just beauty. Um, and I don't feel like this game had any of it. And as I understand it, I might I'm not necessarily in the majority here. There's a lot of people out there who very very much enjoyed SteamWorld Quest. But I was very disappointed playing it. I was left with, as you said, a feeling of meh by the end of it. And that was, that was, it was disappointment uh, more so than the crushing, oh God, that I felt when I was playing 76. Um, now like I have, it almost could have salvaged itself, but didn't quite. Yeah, I feel that it was not a disaster by any means. It wasn't a crater. Uh, I feel, I think that the developer can certainly come back and uh, take the foundation that was created with SteamWorld Quest and build it into something that is uh, super engaging. If SteamWorld Quest 2 ever comes out, I would love to review it because I would love to uh, see if they had taken what was good of the original, and there was a lot of good there, and and bring it forward. But unfortunately, the game itself was my most... It was the, it was the game I was most disappointed with of the year. 
and I guess that's a fair way to take this. I mean, not to like, you know, I'm not disparaging your answer by any means, Caitlin, because, you know, a mech game is like, I don't want to touch this. I don't want to play it. But even closer, I guess a mech game is like, it's like, you could play it, but it's just, it's just going to like, you could take it or leave it kind of thing. Yeah. Whereas like Anthem, I think is worth at this point just leaving. Yes. Whereas like, it's you, dead, Jim. you can play Citizens of Space. It'd be fun and you'd have moments, but you'd probably come out and be like, eh, I could have not wasted that time. Or, for example, the same thing with uh, SteamWorld Quest, which I, I, from the video review we did, it looks really cool. But And I'm definitely intrigued to try it. But at the same time, your glowing review makes me go, eh, is that time I need to waste? Or is there better things I could play? It just looks so great. It looks like a storybook. And uh, it unfortunately just uh, doesn't really have the, the same level of imagination that is in the presentation in the game itself. At least yeah. I didn't feel like it did. That's a shame. Truly a shame. Thank you, Cyanide, for the question. Uh, I know we have some more questions in the queue as well, so definitely future episodes I'll be using those. And listeners, please hit me with more because it's something I want to start bringing back again now that I am remembering to ask for them. Uh, but all that being said, thank you both so much for being on the episode, folks. Thank you so much for listening. If you have comments, questions, complaints, or you know, have your own meh games you want to share with us, you can find us on Discord. You can find us at RPGFan.com. Uh, on the Twitter and the Instagrams. Uh, Facebook is very engaging as well. Our Facebook page keeps us busy, and uh, we have a dedicated team of social media people who respond to all three of those things. Leona runs our Discord with an iron fist uh, and is pretty engaging on that, both with Scott and Caitlin as well, uh, is pretty vocal on there. Yes. So you can reach us on the Discord. I'm, I'm probably more vocal there than I am anywhere else, so... If you if you like hearing me rant about things, you know, join join, join our Discord, which maybe isn't a good <laughs> uh, piece of advice, but you can uh, definitely be verbose, so I won't put it past you. And otherwise, uh, you can get us at podcast at rpgfan.com for any direct stuff about the podcast as well. Thank you so much for listening. We will see you folks back another day and by see i mean you'll listen to us and i won't even know if we're just talking to the ether or not but whatever thank you so much Bye-bye. bye bye bye